Well, good morning. Happy, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. That we got a lot of fathers in here. Raise your hand if you are a father or a grandfather or both. Oh, lovely. Um, we are so happy to have our dads and our granddads here. I know that uh, a lot of times, you know, there's fathers that say, you know, I'm just going to stay home from church and, and celebrate Father's Day and rest and sleep. But I'm so happy to see so many of you bringing out your kids and uh, just being that example for them on Father's Day that, you know what, this is a perfect day to come and worship our Father in heaven who has given us life, who has given us our children. Uh, so we are really happy to uh, have you here this morning. Um, my dad, like all cool dads, uh, told dad jokes. Any dad joke tellers in here? Oh, yeah, we won't admit it, but yeah, we, uh, my dad told hundreds of jokes. My father would tell jokes, and he wouldn't get to the end. He wouldn't get to the punchline before he started laughing at his own jokes, and, and it was just the funniest thing to see. But uh, here's, my, here's my dad's top three uh, dad jokes. I want to share these with you so you can get a little, little bit of an idea of who my dad was. Uh, so uh, joke number one, what did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. <laughs> now, now he had a much longer and more elaborate way to tell that joke, but uh, not going to take that time. What did the zero say to the eight? I like your belt. You're going to have to think about that one for just a second. You're going to get it. I, I promise you it. OK, and this is one, this was one that he would tell at, at church. So for his, uh, the Sunday school class that he taught, where do you learn to make banana splits? Sunday school. <laughs> and now you know why I am the way that I am. <laughs> but it, I just, again, I want to wish happy Father's Day to everybody who's here. My dad, um, his name was Jim. This is, this is me and my dad back in 1996. Uh, Wendy actually took this picture as part of her photography class when she was in school. Um, so it was, uh, but he, he was, his name was Jim. Um, my dad was a high school dropout. He actually left school when he was in eighth grade so that he could get a job because um, he lived with a single mom and mom needed money. So he dropped out and he got a job. Eventually he, he made his way to Bethlehem Steel which is basically where everybody from our area ended up working. Um, he worked in Sparrows Point near Baltimore, and he started as a shipbuilder, and then he worked his way up to specialize in pipe fitting, uh, which I still don't really know what that is. I just know that it's metal pipes that he did something with. But eventually became a foreman, then he became a divisional supervisor, and he worked there for 36 years before he retired. And then he was retired for about three months before they called him back on a consultant basis uh, because they just couldn't do the work without him. Uh, so he was, he was pretty valuable to the company. He was very valuable to me. Uh, to me, my dad was everything. And I'm pretty sure I was his favorite. Um, I won't say that, you know, to my, to my siblings, but I'm pretty sure. Because he used to take me everywhere. He used to take me to the hardware store. He used to take me on errands. Like his, his friend would call and say, hey, I need you to fix my plumbing. And, of course, he was a good plumber, and he'd go and he'd help his friends. And he'd take me with him 
I never got to help him uh, because I, I was incompetent. Um, but <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, hand me that uh, three-quarter inch uh, wrench. And you know, I'd hand it to him. No, the three-quarter inch. What are you doing? Are you, what's the matter with you? He would, but he took me with him. And it was great because I get to drive in the truck and he got to you know, talk to dad and listen to his music and everything. And the funny thing is, is we'd always go, he'd always do these jobs. He never took any money from his friends. He, now they would barter, but he would never take any money. I know this one guy, he used to go and do work for every summer and every summer we'd have like two bushels of crabs at our house. And you know, that was, to me, that was great. Um, but I used to go with him. I'd slow him down sometimes, but he still let me be with him. And that was just probably one of the most special things for me uh, growing up. And I know that uh, kids, if, if you remember your dad's just taking you someplace, right? My dad used to love to go fishing. And he loved to take me fishing. And I loved it and I hated it. I loved it because he took me fishing. Right? And, and, and we got to spend time together. I hated it because he was one of those four o'clock in the morning fishermen. Any four o'clock in the morning fishermen here, you get up at four and then you drink. Oh, it was horrible. But we always got to stop at Dunkin' Donuts. And we always got to get donuts and chocolate milk. And my dad would get this big coffee. I still remember the smell. Black coffee. He was in, yeah, I don't put anything in my coffee. You drink a black coffee and you. I was like, okay. <laughs> But we'd also, we'd always come home like with a cooler full of fish, which was great because my mom was like the greatest fish fryer in the world. And we'd have uh, great things. And my dad, he was willing to do anything for me. He was willing to do anything for all of his kids, but he was willing to do anything for me. And I remember um, this one time when I was nine years old and I had heard some friends at school talk about this thing called church. Well, I'd never been to church before. I'd never, I don't, didn't really even know what church was. And I asked my dad about it. I said, Dad, what's church? Can we go to, to church? Uh, my friends go on Sundays. He said, yes. And the very next week, he took me up to the church that he used to go to, uh, which was uh, Roman Catholic Church, St. Clair's Parish, uh, right there in Baltimore. And he would take me every week. And that was the start of me going to church. And I got confirmed, uh, I took First Communion, um, and I was on the list to become an altar boy, although that never uh, happened because very soon after we started going to that church, um, our next door neighbors invited us to an Assembly of God church. Now, I want you to picture Catholic, <laughs> Pentecostal, right? Little bit of a difference. But dad didn't care, dad, he, he and mom went along with it, and we started going there. Dad became an usher, he became a deacon. He, he helped with new construction of the new church building, all of that, and, and for free, because he knew that that was just what had to happen. He did those things, and those things were an incredible example to me. Now, I knew that my dad wasn't perfect. Um, he had a temper on him, and if you, if you crossed him, he was very ready to raise his voice and yell at you. Um, he cussed like a sailor sometimes. Uh, he could polish off a case of beer in a weekend. Um, 
lot of things about my dad that weren't perfect, but I, I didn't care because he hardly cussed at me. Uh, he even let me drink a beer with him every now and, now and then, but shh, don't say anything. But it wasn't until uh, much later, when I, was, when I was grown up, when I was an adult, that I learned that my dad was even less perfect than I thought he was. Uh, I've been debating whether or not to share specifics with you, and I feel like I, I need to. Um, one of my sisters came forward and admitted that my dad had molested her when she was a young child. And this devastated my family. It devastated me because I didn't think my dad could ever do something like that. My dad, very, very soon after that, attempted suicide. And he attempted suicide, they, they hospitalized him, and he was pretty much in institutions and hospitals ever since. Um, developed dementia, uh, he just, he, 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 he admitted what he did, he knew it was wrong, and he just couldn't live with the shame. He couldn't live with this thing that he had done. And by the time he died, he was just kind of the shell of this man that I grew up with, this man that I loved, this man that did things with me. And it just, it was a disappointment, but he was still my father. He was still my dad. And I wanted as much as possible to understand, though I never got to. I wanted as much as possible just to, to love him and care for him. And eventually my sister forgave him, which was a huge step for our family. But our dads aren't always perfect. Our dads, sometimes do things we never know about. And they're still our fathers. And this morning I want to talk about another father who started out strong. He started out faithful. He started out following God. And in the end, he ended up being a little bit of a disappointment to his sons. But God still used him in a mighty way. And that man is Noah. And I'm sure we've all heard the story of Noah's ark and how Noah gathered all the animals two by two and the cubits and all of that stuff. Comedian Bill Cosby even did a, a comedy routine about Noah building the ark and God talking to Noah and everything. Hollywood made a, an incredibly terrible film called Noah uh, starring uh, Russell Crowe. I highly recommend that you skip it. Um, <laughs> just, oh, horrible. But uh, there are some things about Noah that we sometimes miss when we're reading his story in the book of Genesis. And first we read that Noah was a righteous man. Genesis 6, 9 says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And this was a significant thing in Noah's day because just a couple of verses earlier, we read in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. This is what God saw in all of humanity. 
And then he saw Noah. And it would appear from this description that Noah was the only man who God considered righteous and blameless. The only righteous man on earth from, from what we read here. And we're told that Noah walked with God. He was on God's side. He listened to God. He followed God's instructions. He did what God told him to do. And we're also told that Noah was a father. In Genesis 6.10, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, we don't know a lot about these boys until much later in Noah's story, but for now, we just see him as his boys, his sons. And while Noah was building the ark that God instructed him to build, you can imagine, because uh, he started building these, th this ark like not long after the boys were born. So you can imagine the, the boys kind of running around the construction site, right? Picking up the tools and Noah being, put that down! Right? Hand me that three-quarter inch. No, what do you, you know, all of that stuff, right? But it took him a hundred years about to, to build this ark. And while he was building the ark, the boys grew up. And the boys saw what Noah was doing. He saw that Noah was obeying the command of God to build a boat in the desert. There wasn't a lot of water around where Noah was building his boat. But they saw a father who didn't question God when, he, when God told him, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to destroy all of the animals. I'm going to destroy all of the humans. They saw a dad who didn't question the wisdom of building this huge boat. It was like a 550-foot long boat that was four stories high. And he's building this thing. And what are you going to use that for? You're not going cruising on a boat like that. And they see him building this boat where there was no water to sail it. And they saw a father who didn't question God's instruction when he said, gather two of every kind of animal because you're going to house them on this huge boat. Noah was their dad. He was their influence. He was their guide through life. Even when people all around them were probably mocking him or making fun of him or just ignoring him altogether. They saw Noah continuing to do the work that God called him to. Jesus mentions Noah in Luke chapter 17. He talks about the coming of the kingdom of God, and he says it's like Noah. And in verses 26 to 27, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. These people saw the ark being built. They saw, I mean, how could they miss it? Four stories high, it was probably the biggest structure ever built up until that point. And Noah's telling people, God's going to make it rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's going to flood the earth. He's going to destroy every living thing that lives on the earth. And they ignored him. Or they called him crazy. 
Or, you know, they might say something in our modern language like, you do you, Noah. You, you live your reality, okay? We're just going to be over here doing like real things. You go ahead and build your boat. And Shem, Ham, and Japheth saw all of this happening around them. They might have started thinking the old man was crazy. How many of you, if your father started building an ark in your backyard, would think the old man is crazy? One person, two people, there we go. But they saw his devotion to God. They saw how hard he was working to do exactly what God told him to do. And they got to then see, after Noah's faithfulness, they got to see God's power firsthand. They entered the ark. Mom and dad and their wives, they had gotten old enough to get married. So there were eight people on the ark. And at one point, they, they watched God act on their behalf. In Genesis chapter 7, God instructed Noah, load up the family, load up the animals, load up everything, and get onto the ark. And then in Genesis 7:16. It says, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And watch this next part. The Lord shut him in. Now, in, in every story of, of Noah's Ark that I've ever seen, like on TV or movies or anything, you see like the sons and they're like taking the door and they got the big ropes and they're pulling the ropes and they're trying to get the door closed. The Bible tells us that the Lord shut the door. The Lord shut them in. And Noah's sons and their wives and his wife watched it happen. Maybe they knew at that point something was up. Maybe the old man wasn't so crazy after all. Because God shut the door behind them. And then they watched and they waited. And they waited and they watched. And then soon, water started falling from the sky. And according to Scripture, we had never seen water fall from the sky before. Previously in Genesis, it says that the, the ground was watered by springs that would come up out of the ground, and that's how things got watered. All of a sudden, here's water coming from the sky. Well, this is new. This is a little different. And then it started raining harder, and it started raining harder, and then there was more water and more water, and then the Bible says that the springs brought forth their water. And very quickly, things got flooded. And the boat started to rise as the water displaced the boat. And we hear about the people screaming to get onto the boat. But it's too late because God shut the door. Suddenly, the boat's floating free. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, 
Shem, Ham, and Japheth watched the rains fall and they watched the springs come forth and they experienced the power of God because of what their father had done. For the next 150 days, they helped Noah tend to the animals. They helped Noah take care of the ark. And mostly, they just waited. But everything that their father had told them about God's plan for their lives at that time was happening to them right then and right there. How many of you have ever had a father who has looked at you and said, I see you doing this. I think God wants you to do this. And it happens. You get these opportunities maybe that you never imagined that you would ever get. Because your father, if he's in a relationship with God, might hear these things from him might experience these things. Noah listened to God and eight people were saved. Noah saved his family by obeying God. And he had a tremendous impact on his boys. His faith, his obedience lived out in an evil world. Bible doesn't even say that his sons were righteous, only that Noah was. And all of a sudden, they're seeing God working. And it had an impact on them. Noah's life significantly influenced his son's lives. Well, it significantly influenced two of their lives. Because after the family left the ark and they got settled down, they figured out where they were going to live and everything. They got back to a little normal life, so-called. Then we read about Noah's later life, and in Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 20, we read, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, a lot of preachers will use this verse to say, yeah, Noah was a drunk. We don't know. It's possible, right? We only hear about this one incident of Noah getting drunk, right? Maybe he didn't know what wine was. And maybe he made the wine and then he drank and he got drunk and didn't realize what was going on until it was all over. We don't know. But we do know that in this case, he got drunk and he passed out naked in his tent. That's what it says here. And in uh, verses 22 to 23, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. Now you got to understand at this time in the, in the ancient world, nakedness was a huge deal. Seeing somebody naked was a huge taboo unless you were married to them, right? You were not supposed to look at somebody who was naked. And particularly an adult child should never have seen their father in that state. 
But Ham saw it. And we have to imagine it was an accident, right? He didn't know that Noah was going to get drunk. He didn't know that Noah was going to be naked and passed out in his tent. And he probably just went in to ask for some money to go down to Rudders. And he just walked in and saw Noah laying there. Yeah, it was an accident. He could have quickly averted his eyes. He could have walked in, saw it, and turned right back around and walked out. Or, to preserve his father's dignity, he could have averted his eyes and covered his father before anybody else had the opportunity to see him in that state. But that's not what Ham did. Ham went in and saw his naked father and then left and went and gossiped about it to his brothers. Hey, Shem, Japheth, guess what? Dad got drunk and he's passed out naked in his tent. You should go see. I mean, that's the attitude that I imagine that Ham had. He was not at all interested in his father's dignity. He was not at all interested in preserving his father's honor. He went and told his brothers about it. He disgraced his father. He brought dishonor onto his father. Because he, even if he didn't cover him up, even if he just walked out of the tent, if he hadn't said anything, what's the likelihood that Shem and Japheth would have walked into the tent and seen their father? Well, we don't know, but it's much less likely than if Ham comes up and says, go watch dad, he's sleeping naked. He's snoring real loud too because he's drunk. Shem and Japheth had absorbed the lessons that they learned from their father, even though they learned that their father had done something disgraceful even though they knew that their father had done something that God would not approve of. They preserved his honor and his dignity. They honored their father. They put whatever garment they had, I guess a robe or a blanket or something, they put it on their shoulders, one walking next to the other, so that it was stretched out between them. And they walked into the tent backwards with their faces away from Noah so that they wouldn't see his nakedness. And they went and they draped and they covered him. They preserved his dignity. They honored their father. This is what they learned from their father. Respect. Dignity. They learned not to make fun of someone because of their weakness. This is what they learned, and they covered him up. And fathers, there are several things that we can take away from this story of Noah and his sons this morning. First, our children are watching. You may not believe it, and you may not be even home enough to understand it. But everything you do and everything you say, your children are watching. 
and they're being influenced. They're looking to see if we're men of honor. They're looking to see if we're men of our words. They're looking to see, are we living a life of do as I say, not as I do? Or are we living a life where our words and our actions match? They are looking for that integrity in us. They're watching how we treat other people, particularly their mothers. They're looking to see how we treat our wives. And often children will believe that how we treat their mother is the way that they ought to treat their wives. Or if they're girls, how their husbands ought to treat them or what they can expect because they're watching us. Perhaps most significantly for Christian fathers, they're watching our relationship with God. And this is why I am so pleased to, to see so many fathers here this morning. They are watching to see, is your relationship with God one that you are not going to miss church? That you are not going to make it an excuse to stay home and lay in bed and then get up and watch golf all day? Or like my dad used to do, watch John Wayne movies all day. They're looking to see what your example is going to be in your faith. Are you praying? Are you praying with them? Are you praying not with them? Are you reading your Bible? Are you studying the Bible? Are you reading the Bible to them at bedtime? All of these things they're watching and they are absorbing. You may not believe it, but they are absorbing every single thing that you do. Are you living the commandments of Jesus Christ? Especially when you tell them to live the commandments. Are you doing it? Or are you living the do as I say, not as I do? Because they're not going to listen to your words if your actions are something different. They're going to imitate you. The second thing that we can take away from Noah's story is this. We can live a consistent life. We can live a godly life. We can teach our children everything that they need to know. We can show our children how to live godly lives, and they still might not. Look at Ham. Ham watched the same father that Shem and Japheth watched and he came up with a completely different result. Nothing that we read shows us that Noah treated Ham any differently than he treated his brothers. But Ham just didn't get it. And sometimes we have to continue just to pray and continue to support our children even if they're not living the life that we have taught them how to live. Because guess what? As human beings, we are rebellious people. Especially as teenagers. Young adults, we love to rebel. I remember, man, getting to college and not being at home. Man, I would, and I went to a Christian college. And I would do everything possible that my parents might not be happy with just because I could. And sometimes that's going to happen. And we might even have children who hate us, who despise us because of our faith, because they're living a life that they want to live and we know it's not. 
the life that God wants for them. And we tell them. And they hate us for it. And then they're looking for any mistake that we possibly make, any sin that we possibly might commit so they can say, see, you're no different from anybody else. You're just a big hypocrite, dad. But we have to be okay with that. We must accept the truth that our children, and children, if you're listening this morning, you have to make your own decision to follow Jesus Christ or not. You are not a Christian because your mom and dad are Christians. You have to make that decision on your own. Now you're going to get a lot of influence from your parents. Hopefully it's a good influence. Hopefully they're influencing you to see what kind of a life you can live as a follower of Jesus Christ. But the decision's up to you. The things that you do are up to you. And parents, all we can do is we can pray. We can continue to share the gospel with them. And we can celebrate with them when they do come to a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. Last thing we can learn from this story of Noah. Fathers, mothers too, but I'm talking to fathers this morning. You got to learn how to own up to your mistakes. You got to learn to be able to tell your children, no, I'm not perfect. You got to learn to look at your children when you've done something wrong, when you've done something that is offensive to them. When you do something that God might not be pleased with that you have done and it has affected them, you need to be able to look at them and say, I know what I did was wrong. Please forgive me. And that's a hard thing for men to do. Ask forgiveness of their children. But this is something we can learn from the story of Noah, because Noah didn't do that. Noah cursed Ham. Noah didn't take personal responsibility for what happened. Because if Noah hadn't gotten drunk, if Noah hadn't gotten naked, if Noah hadn't passed out in his tent, there would have been no way for Ham to have seen it. And if Ham couldn't see it, Ham couldn't react to it. And if Ham couldn't react to it, Ham wouldn't have done anything wrong. I know I do things. And my boys will call me out on it. And I love them for it. I hate them for it, but I love them for it. Because none of us like to be called out for the things that we do wrong especially by our children, right? But when they call me out on those things, it is my opportunity to look at the things that I'm doing, the things I'm showing them, the actions that I am doing, and to be able to say, you know what, you're right. I need God to help me work on that. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me for those things that I'm doing that are not a good example for you. 
Fathers, we've got to learn how to do that. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how old your children are. We've got to learn to ask forgiveness from our children. Because when our children experience us asking forgiveness, that is one of the most spiritual acts we can demonstrate. It's one of the most spiritual acts that we can demonstrate. What you're telling your child in that moment is it's not okay to wrong people. It's not okay to hurt people. But if you do wrong them, if you do hurt them, you should go to them and repent and ask them for forgiveness as soon as possible. Because that is what God calls us to do. We read this description of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And we read that line, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then we forget to read the next verse. For if we forgive the sins of others, God will forgive our sins. But if we don't forgive the sins of others, then God won't forgive our sins. And when we ask forgiveness from our children, we are showing them that next verse. We are showing them that we desire to do it right and that's all that we as fathers can do we can't force our children into a relationship with Jesus Christ all we can do is show them all we can do is live the life of Jesus Christ for them And pray that we are influential. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that we're celebrating Father's Day. Lord, we know as fathers we don't get it right. And we don't get it right a lot of the time. Father, help us to lose our pride Help us to be examples of who Christ wants us to be as we live in front of our children every single day. Help us to pray with them. Help us to study Scripture with them. Help us to let them know who you are so that when they are ready and when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts them of their sin that they will make the decision to accept your free gift of salvation. They will, they will make the decision to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And their faith will be deeper for it. Let us be that example. Let us live that life. Father, we thank you. We ask that you would go with us as we leave here today. And if we're not living that life, pray that you would help us to start. And pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Um, next week, Wendy and I will not be here. Uh, we are actually going to celebrate our uh, anniversary from May. Um, 
this week in Boston. But I do have a very special announcement. Next week is going to be Youth Group Sunday. The youth group is going to be leading most of our service next week. We've got uh, youth who are going to be ushers and youth who are going to be greeters and they're going to be the worship leader. We've got one of our young college students uh, who shall remain nameless for now, who's going to come and is going to share a very special message with you. I hope that you guys all come out and enjoy that service. We'll be watching on the live stream, uh, but please come out and support our youth at that service. And now I pray that God will richly bless all of the fathers here, the grandfathers, everybody who is maybe even a single mom who's taking on the role of mother and father. Pray that God will richly bless you, that God will show you how to live lives that your children will be watching so that you, they may be pleasing to him. God bless you this week.